The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We are actually going to do the largest infrastructure bill ever in America's history. The more extraordinary the extraordinary measures get, the harder it is to put pressure on Congress. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Why wouldn't you try a primary against President Biden if he were to decide to run again? You guys know you speak to a pretty educated audience. The debt ceiling is a completely manufactured crisis. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So it actually happened. H.R. 3684 is now law. Infrastructure. The BIF. Whatever you choose to call it. Actually signed by the President of the United States in a windy ceremony on the South Lawn, concluding months of debate on this bill and many weeks that followed its passage on Capitol Hill. Now it's on to the next chapter. Already? as Democrats hope to vote on the president's social spending bill later on this week, assuming it becomes a bill this week. And we'll talk about that with Congressman Ruben Gallego, Democrat from Arizona. Later, we'll explore the president's economic agenda and his agenda tonight with China through the prism of the financial markets with the help of Ewan Rally managing partner at the firm BDA. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. The Biff is now in the books. Sound of the president's supporters with the Joe chant today on the South Lawn. As the president stood before a crowd of hundreds, many shivering on a windy fall day. They were in the shade by the time this thing started. But the president was all smiles at the podium as he marked the occasion. Today, we're finally getting this done. So my message to the American people is this. America's moving again and your life is going to change for the better. He's waiting for that moment for months, recalling what's actually in the bill. This law makes us the most significant investment in roads and bridges in the past 70 years. It makes the most significant investment in passenger rail in the past 50 years and in public transit ever. So what what that means is you're going to be safer and you're going to get there faster. And we're going to have a whole hell of a lot pollution, less pollution in the air. 19 Republicans voted for it in the Senate, 13 in the House. And the president hopes to be holding another event like this one. Sometime, we'll say, before the end of the year, in signing his social spending plan, which Speaker Pelosi has promised to pass in the House this week. At least, it appears, a vote will be set, maybe even this weekend. And we're joined by somebody who was with the president today and knows a lot about this debate, Congressman Ruben Gallego, Democrat from Arizona. We thank you for being with us. Serves on the House Armed Services and Natural Resources Committees. Congressman, is this bill now law enough to help your district? It's a very good start. Look, this does take care of a lot of issues. It certainly helps us with infrastructure when it comes to mass transportation. I have some of the highest amounts of uh, population densities that don't have 
um, access to vehicles, and it takes them forever to go to school to, to go to school to go to work. Yeah. It's going to help us with broadband. I have a lot of broadband areas that are just you know dark areas, especially when it came to COVID. A lot of kids had to go to local McDonald's and uh, Burger Kings and you know strip off their Wi-Fi's just to do. Uh, their homework, including even adults who try to work from home. So there is going to be a lot of there's a lot of good that's going to come out of this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a, uh, the, one of the, the fifth largest airport in the country employs 20,000 people in my district. Good paying job. So, uh, you know, people are going to be going back to work. So this is actually a really good start. The Build Back Better agenda will also end up kind of rounding out the last missing, missing pieces that we need to really recover from, uh, you know, the, the recession that was caused by this pandemic. I'll ask you about the BBB in just a moment, but the timetable for implementation has been knocked around quite a bit here. You you mentioned broadband right at the outset. That is actually something that some people, particularly uh, in in Phoenix, Arizona, where you are, will be able to feel. I know rural uh, folks and communities will have to wait a little bit longer than that. But I just wonder about the timetable here, Congressman. This could have been signed by by President Biden weeks and weeks ago. And it was used essentially as leverage to continue this debate on reconciliation to get everybody on board uh, with whatever this reconciliation bill is is going to what form is it going to take? Do you wish the president had signed it earlier so we could get benefits to people faster? Look, I think at the end of the day, we're going to have a huge influx of investment in America. I think uh, one week, two week difference. I, I, I get what it looks like. But at the end of the day. Uh, there is a lot enough investment already moving just today in Arizona. The governor of Arizona announced uh, about $18 million worth of infrastructure just on broadband that's coming from the American Recovery Act. So there's already money that's out there that it needs to be invested. So this is just you know, going to help kind of kickstart what's already moving in that direction. Let's talk more about where we go from here. You mentioned Build Back Better. Uh, Speaker Pelosi is expected to bring this bill to a vote. Will it actually be a bill this week? Will there be CBO scoring? Is this an unrealistic goal? I think it's a realistic goal. Uh, talking to some of my colleagues that are still hesitant. They believe the CBO score coming out uh, hopefully by Friday will make a difference. Some of them are actually willing to vote for it now, considering they have enough information. Your moderate uh, colleagues. This is going to be my moderate colleagues. Uh, I think at the end of the day, this is going to be kind of the capstone to the economic recovery of the United States. You know, families being able to plan for them to receive a child tax credit, uh, you know, per $200, $300 per child uh, permanently. Uh, You have the opportunity for child care tax credit so men and women can go back to work and know that they're going to have their kids uh, in appropriate uh, uh, daycare settings. Uh, There's going to be massive investments in pre-K. So now we have universal pre-K for schools that, you know, have never had it and states never had it. So there's going to be a lot of investments here that, you know, we just have not been we have not had in the past that would really help the American middle class. There's still some talk, Congressman, about how to pay for it all. And I could ask you as well if, if you believe that all of those components will end up in a final version. But we saw the uh, members of the Senate uh, Finance Committee today putting forth a proposal on how to deal with crypto taxes, for instance. Is this still being baked? Is this bill still in the oven when it comes to pay fors? It sounds like it is, to be honest. Um, uh, you know, I, I think the simplest method uh, for funding is, is probably, you know, through higher taxes and higher wage earners and, and a higher corporate income tax. Um, the method that the Senate's going to go about is, I think, going to cause more chaos than anything else, hmm. specifically even when it comes to taxing crypto, which is a very, which fluctuates every day. That's true. Uh, and I hope that we can, we can do something that is fair, equitable, and, and simple. Um, I, you know, I don't want uh, Americans and, and small corporations having to do massive amount of uh, 
paperwork uh, to figure out whether they're in or, or out of the tax bracket that's going to be uh, taxed here. But you're happy with the minimum uh, corporate tax rate that's come up, the millionaire's tax, for instance, to try to pay for this. Do you think that will actually cover the final price tag when we hear from the CBO this week? I do not believe it'll cover it. I, I think, you know, the billionaire tax uh, is is good, uh, but I think it's more of a messaging uh, issue than a funding issue. And I think if we really want to fund this. I think we have to be realistic uh, about, uh, you know, very high wealthy wage earners. Uh, yeah. And I don't believe the billionaire tax will fund it. But obviously, I will keep my mind open if we can do this. Uh, with taxing them the minimum amount of people in corporation, then then obviously that'll be a success. So you uh, preferred so to have a billionaire's tax? Am I understanding that right? I would prefer that we have enough uh, funding for this, uh, you know, for this agenda. Sure. Uh, and if the billionaire tax is part of that, then that's that's great. Uh, if we could do it all with just a billionaire's tax, that would be great. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be enough. I understand. I uh, wonder what you're kind of making plans for here, Congressman. Everybody needs to get home for Thanksgiving at some point, or are we all meeting at Ben's Chili Bowl instead of eating turkey this year? Uh, well, you know, I'm a Latino, so probably trying to find a place that has tamales uh, and ham. <laughs> That's a fine uh, but, answer. Uh, you know, whatever it takes to get this done for the country, uh, you know, you have service members that are overseas missing Thanksgiving. I've certainly done that before, so it's not yeah. the end of the world if I had to do that uh, as a member of Congress. Congressman, the president is going to be uh, meeting with his counterpart from China tonight. It's a pretty high-stakes day at this White House, not just the bill signing, but also uh, meeting with President Xi. And the president went out of his way in this address, as he does in many of them, to talk about competition with China. How does this bill make us more competitive with this country on the other side of the world? Are we talking about transportation? Are we talking about roads, bridges, and so forth? What, what makes us a better competitor with China? Well, certainly uh, our infrastructure, you know, coming up to being one of the you know number one rankings of the world does help us in terms of statue vis-a-vis our allies and other people that have to decide who to back between China and the United States. I also think like the, uh, you know, the upgrading of the electrical grid, which is mm-hmm. extremely important to this country, will help us uh, become more uh, energy efficient and rely more on renewable energy, something that will allow us to basically show the world that we are responsible partners and not emitting as much carbon as irresponsible countries uh, like China. Uh, you know, so these are all kind of first steps. Uh, I think in sure. a long, long step. Do you and your fellow colleagues also... on the Armed Services Committee consider China to be an adversary? I think we all have to anticipate that they will be an adversary, and certainly China acts like they're an adversary. They're consistent cyber uh, crimes, they're hacking, they're uh, consistent espionage that they're engaging in. Um, you know, tells us a lot about what their intentions are. Uh, so, you know, we, we can only be, you know, when someone tells you who they are, you have to believe them. So sure. we have to anticipate that they are, uh, unless they can prove otherwise or unless they start showing otherwise. Uh, but obviously, I, I think America's intent is not to have adversaries. Uh, you know, I'd rather have strategic partners instead of strategic competitors, but we're not going to be caught on, the, on our back foot, uh, you know, just because we hope things will go yeah. a certain way when, in fact, they're not. We'll be looking forward to that readout tonight to see what they actually discuss. Congressman Gallego, while you're with us, we have one minute left here. Getting back to the matter of reconciliation, you're looking ahead to a vote as soon as this week. We talked about some of the pay-fors. Should Democrats not add the debt ceiling to that reconciliation bill so we don't have to walk up on the cliff again next month? I think it actually would wrap up 
it would end up causing more chaos by doing that. Uh, obviously, I want to avoid the chaotic situation where we have to, you know, going into a holiday season, wonder whether or not the government is going to be able to pay its bills. But the bigger problem with that is that it may actually end up losing votes and 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 cause both uh, both agendas to fail. So I think it's cleaner we keep these uh, separate. And uh, look, the Republicans also have to take part in this. Ninety-eight uh, percent huh. of the debt. Uh, comes from the Trump administration and the fact that they're not willing to cash a check for their for the debt that they incurred by voting on it. Yeah, we'll uh, see. Is, uh, Mitch McConnell says no way. Congressman Ruben Gallego of Arizona, we thank you for being with us coming off your meeting today and the bill signing with the president. The panel's next. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, Biden promises change for the better in infrastructure law. Or as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer today said. To paraphrase one of my favorite former vice presidents, it's a big effing deal. (laughs) Recalling another bill signing during another administration. But what's next is what everyone's talking about at the moment in Washington, because that's the way we work. And before we assemble the panel with Rick and Jeannie, I want to ask... Emily Wilkins about this, of course, of Bloomberg government who lives and breathes Capitol Hill. Emily, they're talking about a vote this week. We're talking about CBO scores maybe Thursday, Friday. Does reconciliation actually happen before Thanksgiving? At this time, Democratic leaders are still saying yes. They're still saying that they want a vote this week. Remember, Mm -hmm. Congress is not supposed to be in next week. They all go back to their districts for Thanksgiving. And if there's one thing that Congress hates doing, it is missing a recess that they were supposed to get. And so what we're seeing right now, I mean, it's very critical. You're absolutely right, Joe, to focus in on that Congressional Budget Office score. It sounds so wonky because it is. But basically, this is about more moderate and centrist Democrats saying, We cannot vote for this bill until we have it absolutely clear that it is not going to spend any money that it doesn't raise, That essentially that the bill is paid for. And those fears have become so much more real because of the inflation numbers that came out last week. And so we have to wait for for the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, They're not magic. It takes time to run the numbers and and to look at all this stuff. And, you know, it it is going to take a while. We're now hearing that they could potentially get the, the numbers on Friday. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if leadership might try and move through a vote sooner, say, hey, we have all these other pieces of data on the bills. Is Mm -hmm. is this enough? Uh, But we might wind up seeing Congress stay Friday, might see them stay into the weekend. We could see them here next week. It really depends how what kind of timeline Democratic leadership needs, because remember, after they come back for Thanksgiving, that's the week that ends in December 3rd. And that's when there's a potential government shutdown. Ah. That's the debt ceiling. That that's a lot of things uh, that, that are coming 
coming up then. So yeah. leadership might want to try and make sure they're moving a little quicker it's, when it comes to the social welfare bill. There. A big menu on Capitol Hill, uh, as we hear from Emily Wilkins. Thank you, Emily, for jumping in with us quickly today. We'll have a lot more to talk about with Emily tomorrow as this really becomes a story. But it gives you a sense as we now assemble the panel as to what is uh, going on around the president here. He's preparing to meet with uh, his counterpart in China tonight, but it's all about reconciliation as we move into tomorrow. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors as we assemble the panel. I hope you both had a great weekend. Jeannie, it's great to see you in the nation's capital for starters here. I don't know if you were shivering on the lawn a little bit earlier with Joe Biden, but I'm glad you're here for whatever pulled you uh, into Washington, D.C. Do they get a reconciliation bill this week? I think this week is tough. I mean, I, you know, I come to see you, Matt Shirley, and yes. you listen to Emily with all her details. I, I think it's really tough. Um, they, they, you know, ideally for the leadership, they would. But you're talking you need CBO scores and mm-hmm. you need to move this through. But, of course, even if that happens, this thing gets sent to the Senate and right. it is going to be blown up there. Well, so as sure. much as we talk about this big vote, the big vote does not make a bill. That said, this was a big <laughs> effing deal today for Joe Biden and the nation. And we want to underscore that because we cannot, you know, diminish the amount of how many past presidents, how many infrastructure weeks have gone mm-hmm. by to get a bill at this size and this scope today is a huge achievement for the Biden administration and the Republicans in Congress who supported it. Rick Davis, this whole conversation, aside from what Jeannie just said toward the end there, does remind me that President Biden gets basically no time to enjoy this. The minute he stepped off that podium, they're in prep mode for China. Everyone's talking about reconciliation instead of what happened today. Yeah, he doesn't get any chance to really take a true victory lap. Now, that being said, he's got all year that he's going to go off to every single state that has an important race uh, in the 2022 uh, midterms and campaign on the fact that there'll be new bridges, there'll be better internet in the uh, in the rural areas, there's going to be better water for your children. Um, he's got a whole talking point now that he didn't have yesterday yep. that he can go out and have a conversation with the American people. Does what happened today, Jeannie, help? Does it create any leverage or momentum to get the next part done? You know, I think it does to a certain extent. There's nothing that gets people motivated like success. So I think Democrats feeling a bit of wind on their back may be motivated to push this through. Mm -hmm. But that said, and I hate to throw, you know, cold water on their excitement. Again, when this goes through the House, which I believe it will, whether this week or next, it is going to be a few weeks of pain in the Senate at the very least as it gets ripped up part. You know, parts of this are going to be taken out because they simply can't meet the reconciliation. And then, of course, it depends on holding all 50 of those Democratic senators together. And Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema have indicated there are parts of this that they will not sign off on. Mm -hmm. So a long way to go for the, you know, soft infrastructure, if you will. But we are, you know, a a huge achievement for the president, again, for hard infrastructure as he meets the president of China tonight. So, Rick, once it gets the bird bath and the privilege scrub and then all the other elements come out of this thing that the mansions and cinemas don't like in the Senate, will it bear any resemblance to to this carefully crafted agreement in the House? Or is everyone going to be offended, moderates and progressives, and we're stuck in the mud once again? Yeah, I think there's going to be a bit of a sticker shock. I mean, people today were still talking about how the infrastructure bill started at two and a half trillion. Come on, get a life. Things happen. (laughs) Get a life, says Rick Davis. (laughs) You know, you ought to be happy you've got this massive infrastructure bill. And so if it's 1.5, 1.2, 
you know, less than a trillion. Yeah. At this point, Democrats need to check their wins quickly. Lot to be said here. Rick and Jeannie will be back as we spend the hour with our panel. You and Relly is up next from BDA Partners as we try to get a sense of this agenda through the prism of the financial markets. On the fastest hour in politics, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. A presidential moment for Joe Biden as he signed the BIF at last, unlocking $550 billion in new infrastructure money. And you thought that already happened? Setting the stage for the next round here, his social spending bill to move forward on Capitol Hill. And with another presidential moment in store tonight, Biden meeting with President Xi of China. We're going to talk about his agenda through the eyes of the markets and what's actually important to investors with Ewan Relly, co-founder, managing partner at BDA Partners. He'll be with us next. Thanks for joining us on the Monday edition of Sound On. Some of us still can't really believe it. He signed it into law. He signed infrastructure. But, of course, that now has everyone looking ahead to what happens this week. I'm confident that the House will pass this bill, and then we're going to have to pass it in the Senate. And that's fully paid for. It will reduce the deficit over the long term, according to the leading economists in the world. And again, no one earning less than $400,000 will pay a single penny more in federal taxes. Of course, he's talking about Build Back Better, BBB reconciliation, the social spending plan. Maybe you choose to call it soft infrastructure. The longer this takes, the more names we'll come up with here in Washington. That part, though, about it being fully paid for, if you listen to... Congressman Ruben Gallego with us, the Democrat from Arizona at the top of this hour, wasn't so sure. And so we turn to an expert on the market's view here, which is something we don't always get a chance to do on this political broadcast. But boy, they sure are interwoven with the conversation about inflation driving the news it sees it seems just about every day. Ewan Rally is co-founder and managing partner of BDA Partners, which just celebrated its 25th anniversary and we're Delighted to have you, Ewan. Uh, happy anniversary and welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Thank As we you, look Bobby. ahead to reconciliation, by all means, potentially passing this week. I know that the infrastructure bill was relatively popular on Wall Street, putting shovels into the ground, buying a lot of equipment, upgrading our facilities, getting more broadband and so forth. These are things investors can get their heads around. Is there a growing worry that Democrats might actually pass the reconciliation plan on Wall Street? I, I, I think, actually, the markets will be happy when it's done. Um, and I think uh, markets always want predictability. We want stability. We want a sense that, uh, you know, the political football is, is kind of safely balanced between the two parties. This is a, a political uh, slanging match, which is never healthy. I don't think uh, uh, the markets on the whole, you know, I think we've priced in the idea of some extended child uh, tax credits some some sort of universal pre-K. Um, you know, I think the question is really, can these um, actions be positioned to reduce inflation rather than, rather than continue to stoke inflation? 
Well, what's your view on that? Because nobody seems to agree uh, between Democrats and Republicans and even between Washington and New York. There seems to be a pretty big eye roll when when sure. Joe Biden or Brian Deese or anybody come out and say, oh, if you want to help inflation, then pass this bill. Look, I think I think uh, individuals and, and, and middle class families across America probably are are generally in favor of this kind of human infrastructure. And I think anything that persuades people to go back to work and to stay in their jobs uh, and to be productive is helpful. But I think that actually the markets are very glad for the existence of Manchin and Cinema, who restrain some of what they would otherwise, what we might otherwise see as ex- excessive spending. We're all for um, some kind of social infrastructure uh, that, 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 that helps um, uh, employers keep people employed, but, but we don't want excess. It sounds like you're more concerned with uncertainty than you are spending and inflation. Is that fair to say, Ewan? Look, I think, I think inflation is a worry, and, and uh, for sure the, the, the administration's suggestions that inflation is only transitory, you know, markets don't believe that anymore. We believe inflation's here to stay. We you want do. to see a combination of uh, moderate, sensible, uh, uh, um, you know, middle-of-the-road policies, which will maybe allow the inflationary pressures to abate. But we also want to get, get policies uh, done and, and signed up so we can move on. Uh, so I think it's, a, it's always a balancing act between those things. We want to see progress, but we want to see gradual, gentle, moderate progress. We don't want to see anything uh, crazy or unruly. Ewan Relly, it's on to China tonight. President Biden will be meeting virtually with President Xi. Trade is on the table, we are told, along with a number of other issues, including climate. Both of these kind of tie in uh, to what this bill would be hoping to address. How concerned are the markets about our relationship with China? What are the stakes tonight in this conversation? Here's what the pattern has been over the last year. Surprisingly, the Biden administration has largely, as you know, kept in place the tariffs and kept in place the pressure on, on President Xi. It seemed to be, you know, a chest-beating battle of the two strongmen before Trump and Xi both playing to their domestic audiences, trying to seem tough. Biden has largely echoed what Trump uh, did. We as business would love to see, um, uh, again, see the tensions reduced. We'd love to see some reduction in tariffs, and we'd love to see a healthier, more productive relationship between the two countries. I'm not expecting miracles, but I think the efforts to move in the right direction will be well received by markets. Movement on tariffs would be that would be a real deliverable. That means you want to see more than we've agreed to continue talking. We're we're breaking the ice. We're lowering the temperature. You want to see actual news. I don't think they will reduce tariffs immediately. I think what the Biden administration will allow certain companies to work around tariffs. They will allow exclusions more often. Uh, you know, actually, we're seeing tensions within the Biden administration. Some, uh, some of his administration are keen even potentially to increase tariffs, which would be viewed very unfavorably by business. We want to see freer trade and we want to see uh, more business between the two countries. Um, I'm hopeful, but I'm not too optimistic in the short term. You and Relly, co-founder, managing partner of BDA Partners. Many thanks for your insights today Thank on you. Bloomberg Radio. Fascinating conversation. We're going to play this against the panel in just a moment, see what Rick and Jeannie think about this.
as I sit here thinking as well about the ESG implications of that meeting with China, not to mention the reconciliation bill passing. And why not remind us what we're listening to? That's right. It is Sound On, and I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Up next, we reassemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie will be with us as they are for the rest of the hour. We'll talk about some motions in the midterms today as well. Who's running and who is not? Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We're just about an hour away here, a couple hours maybe from the big meeting. Yeah, it's we'll call it two hours. Biden and she on Zoom. Well, they don't use Zoom at the White House, but no, they're not going to be having a summit in the same room. As we discussed on Friday with the panel, this is a virtual meeting and one that will not include probably a lot of eye contact. As I read on the terminal, U.S.-China seeking to stabilize ties with Biden-Xi summit. And we reassemble the panel now. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors, the original panel. Rick, I wonder, as you prepare for the readout tonight from the White House, what needs to happen? I'll ask you both this. What needs to happen for you to call this a success? You know, I think that uh, they need to hit the top issues. Uh, Biden has to show strength when it comes to some of these human rights issues. Uh, He's got to be able to articulate clearly to the American public how he handled the Taiwan issue, which has been a little bit of a bouncing ball in this administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I think uh, a little bit about what uh, the economic implications for this relationship are, because right now the competition is still very much economic. We haven't really gotten into much of a military competition, although some of the things that could come out of this is an agreement to start to pursue some kind of a nuclear disarmament or nuclear management uh, 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 set of conversations. And that would be a welcome uh, uh, outcome. But even though the administration is not pushing outcomes, I think he's got to be able to tell the American public that he's making progress Mm -hmm. in this relationship with, with mainland China. You can say anything you want when there's no joint statement, right? There's going to be a readout, we know, late tonight from the White House. Jeannie, what does it need to say for you to turn around and, and, and give Joe Biden credit? You know, I, What I think it needs to say is that he has reset this relationship. I think that's critical for the White House. There's been a lot of tension, whether it was Anchorage, whether it was the meetings in July or September. And I think what the president wants to do coming off this win that he's had on hard infrastructure, also the unemployment numbers, is he wants to reset the relationship and set the stage for a fair competition, which is something we keep hearing from the White House. Not that they're going to have any big deliverables. If they're small deliverables, I think that's a good first step. But I really think it's to set the stage for future conversations where the United States, particularly on trade, 
and the economic issues can compete fairly with China. And that's been a big rub because there's still a lot of questions as to whether China is complying yeah. with the agreement from last year. Well, that's right. And so, you know, to get those conversations moving forward in a positive direction, you know, I think they are saying don't expect anything big. If they come out with something, that would be critical. And of course, I am I am interested to hear how he responds if there is an invitation about the Olympics, because that may not sound like a big deal. But many people saying we should be boycotting. He's going to have to respond if they do make an invitation tonight on that. I'm glad you brought that up. Ambassador Pickering talked about that on Friday with us. Rick, do you think Joe Biden should say yes if there's an invite? Yes, I think that uh, there's no better way to manage a relationship than being able to create the formality of an in-person meeting, summit, uh, whatever the standard will be. Uh, but I think that that will help add some stability to what is right now a relationship that is headed in the wrong direction, you know, where the competition is negative competition, not healthy competition. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of gaming around this tomorrow. I'll be very curious to see what kind of language the White House chooses, because we really only will have their version to go on here, right? I mean, I'm sure there'll be leaks some sort coming out of this meeting, but uh, it's going to be difficult to tell really what the tone was in that room. As we spend time with the panel today on Sound On, I do want to ask you both about electoral politics and may as well start in the great state of Texas. You heard Beto is running. Uh so I'm here at the dentist, and we're going to continue our series yeah. on the people of the border. I'm here with Beto Diana. Hi, I'm Diana. I was actually. You remember uh, when he went live on Instagram from the dentist chair? He also got his hair cut on Instagram because nothing says "vote for me" like the sound of the dentist drill. Get people talking here. Rick and Jeannie are with us, and I figure both of you guys, you big fans of the dentist? I mean, imagine this with the with the camera. All right, Jeannie, tell me what you have here. Beto O'Rourke says he will challenge Greg Abbott. I'm assuming Matthew McConaughey is not going to join this campaign. Is this a real race? You know, it is a real race. I, I, I love my own dentist. I would not want to be filmed at my dentist's no. office. Um, this is why the kids love Better O'Rourke, though. But, you know, he he's going to make a go of this. Um, I do hope Matthew McConaughey runs, by the way, because I want him to come on Sound On. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's still an uphill battle um, for Better O'Rourke. Um, you know, Texas is famously changing, but he has been here before. And even when the polls say he's got a shot, it's still an uphill battle. I think in this environment, that's going to be the same. Um, but he's putting himself out there. And, you know, Greg Abbott remains popular in his state of Texas. So mm -hmm. this is going to be quite a battle. And I am interested to see how much outside money, money from outside Texas, enters into this race as, race as a result of Beto O'Rourke right. challenging How many him. times you have to lose and still be making money? Rick, I'm sure I don't need to tell you that Texas has not elected a Democrat to statewide office since 1994. Uh, is is this a real race? You know, it's it's a real race because of what Jeannie just said. It's going to drain a lot of Democratic coffers. People are money race. think this is a chance to do something. Uh, I'm highly skeptical. Uh, he wasn't the greatest candidate um, uh, when he ran the last time for the Senate, and he was yeah. a disaster as a presidential candidate. Uh, but he's going to take money out of other more competitive races because of the star appeal he has and the mm -hmm. desire for Democrats to create an upset in Texas. This is going to be another test run for maybe something a couple of years down the road. 
Well, I think same. it actually elevates uh, Abbott because uh, huh. there's nothing like winning, right? And right. Uh, and you're now going to empower a guy like Abbott who otherwise would uh, not be a big issue in an election year. Uh, but it could be the death knell for Beto. If he doesn't win here, three strikes and you're out, baby. Yeah, well, it, that may well be true. Jeannie, uh, did, did Beto O'Rourke learn enough in two losses to manage this campaign differently? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. Um, you know, he had, as, as Rick mentioned, he was not a good candidate either time. And so this is going to be a big test for him. There's only so many times you can run on the big stage and lose. So this is a big gamble. And I have to say, when I heard he was going to run, I was surprised because, you know, he's taking a path very different than, say, the transportation secretary. So other people who have run and lost have, you know, gone into appointments and those kinds of things. He's putting himself out there once again, but it's a big gamble, mm -hmm. I think, for Beto O'Rourke. Well, as Beto jumps in, somebody else jumping out here, the longest-serving senator in Vermont history. That would, of course, be Patrick Leahy. And all of his Batman collectibles, are he's packing up his toys, Rick. What does that mean uh, for the Senate in the midterms? Remembering we had this conversation about Chris Sununu deciding not to run in New Hampshire. Yeah, there's a real scramble on these retirements. I mean, you've already got over 30 members. 30 members were uh, announced their retirement, six in the Senate. Uh, and this is the only Democrat retirement. So uh, it's not going to help, um, uh, you know, the Republicans win the Senate. Um, it, that seat's going to stay Democratic. It will change things in the primary contest in Vermont. But uh, this is this is another example of how the Senate is changing. I mean, Patrick Leahy was one of the, you know, I wouldn't call him a lion of the Senate, but he's been there longer than anybody else. So you got to get some kind of positive title. That's right. And uh, and 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 now he's going. And and so uh, the complexion of the Senate is changing mm -hmm. and, and probably not for the better. It'll be interesting to see now if he gets what he wants as chairman of the Appropriations Committee. He'd yeah. like the appropriations process to move forward. Maybe now he can devote all his time and attention to doing that. Rick, I'm sure you had your throws uh, with uh, Senator Leahy while you were working with Senator John McCain over the years. Are you concerned? Well, maybe I'll ask you, what are you concerned about losing here? Is there is there something, uh, you know, down the, the route of compromise, the old fashioned way of doing business that the Senate might lose? Yeah, that's exactly right, Joe. I mean, the, the Patrick Leahy was the kind of guy who could cut a deal. I mean, you, you think about this. He gets along perfectly well, you know, with his Democrat or his Republican counterpart in the Appropriations yeah. Committee. Probably the hardest thing in the world to do. And, and he makes it look easy. Uh, so so when you have people like this that can reach across the aisle within their committees, outside their committees and and do deals that actually create a stronger country and a better Congress that um, uh, his loss will be impacted in the Senate, I'm sure. Jeannie, how worried are you about losing uh, the man that, that Rick even referred to as, as a lion, if not the lion of the Senate? Senator Patrick Leahy goes away and, and takes what with him? You know, the, the seat remains Democratic, but yeah. I think you just mentioned Governor Sununu deciding not to run. And That's we right. heard him over the weekend as Pat Leahy leaves the Senate and, and this, you know, young, attractive Republican says he's not going to go to Washington, D.C. because Sununu, nothing yeah. and Sununu because nothing gets done. He can't do his job. So is Leahy fed up or what? And so, you know, I think Leahy's been there a long time. He's probably fed up with how things have changed. But I do think that that is a real frustration. Who would put themselves out? 
out there for these kinds of jobs when the sense is from thinking people like Sununu and other Democrats and Republicans that if you go to Washington, you are going to be part and parcel of what is a toxic environment at this point. You know, you yeah. look just at the, the what happened today with the signing ceremony and Republicans who voted for this bill wouldn't go because they were scared <laughs> right. to have a picture taken with the president. That's the times we're living in. This is the world we are in. Although I, I'll suggest a little uh, homework assignment before tomorrow's sound on. Go to the terminal and you will read the story. Leahy retirement may result in Vermont's first woman in Congress. There's that legacy, too. Rick and Jeannie, thanks as ever. Our original panel on sound on. I'll meet you back here this time tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.